Welcome to Christ the King this morning. I wonder if you have seen the TED talk on the power pose. No nods of affirmation. One, there we go. Two, maybe. The power, four, great. Power pose uh, from the TED talk. It's worth 18 minutes of your time. In this talk, the speakers suggest that all of us, some more than other probably, often feel uh, timid. Uh, uncertain, nervous, lacking confidence, and when we feel this way, we have a tendency, unthinkingly, to express for our bodies to, to embody this emotion. And so we begin to get a little withdrawn, a little, begin to get a little bit of a wallflower and, and fade away. Well, as you can uh, imagine by the phrase, the power pose the speaker suggests, that's the, exactly the wrong thing one ought to do. And what she suggests is that if you actually take a a, a stance of posture, uh, then the, the outward body has a way of informing uh, the inward person. Uh, so a posture of confidence, even when and especially when we don't feel confident, can in fact boost our confidence. So much to my children's chagrin, around the Glade family dinner table, we are all practicing our power pose. And the power pose is this. Feet shoulder width apart, hands on the hip, Chest out, eyes up, head back. And I know that empowerment is a little bit of a buzzword these days. Uh, but it's something that I think we'd all want for our children and our parents would all want for us. To step out into the world with a, an appropriate level of confidence. An appropriate level of assertiveness. Certain that they were capable to face the challenges that came their way. And I suppose we can have too much confidence, too much assertiveness, but in my experience, the, the far greater challenge is not enough of, a lack thereof. I want it for my children. I know my parents want it for me. And I think our Heavenly Father wants the same for us. As mentioned, over these next few weeks in the season of Easter, we're going to be thinking about the implications of the resurrection. Yes, it happened, but so what? What does it mean for us today? And I hope you will find that the implications of the resurrection are relevant and still very profound. This week, we're going to look at the subject of resurrection and power. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. It's printed in your service leaflet. You may want to turn there. If you brought your Bibles, you can open there as well. We'll be flipping around just a touch so it may be helpful. It's also, you can find it in your pew Bible, I believe, on page 1133, Ephesians chapter 1. So here is a thesis statement that I will unpack throughout our time together. And so the thesis about God's power is this. God's power, which is displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is already at work and presently available and everyone who believes. Three little ideas and that one bigger idea, the first of which is God's power is displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, God's power, which has been displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is already at work in everyone who believes in him. Already at work. And then the third observation is God's power, that same, very same power, is presently available to you and me. So let's jump right in. The resurrection of Jesus is the supreme display of God's power. Just follow along with me in the text. Look at verse 
19 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. And just note the verbs of industry, or note the words of industry. The immeasurable greatness of his power, not just his power, but his, the immeasurable greatness of his power, according to the working of his great might. How strong is God? Well, he's very strong. How mighty is God? Well, he's very mighty. My uh, kids would sing the song, the little ditty, how my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that my God cannot do. But if you had to point to one thing that displayed the power of God, displayed the might of God, what would you point to? If you had to point to one thing that inspired you to sing, My God, how great thou art, which we will sing during communion, what would it be? Would it be the stars and all the universe thy hands have made, which is in fact the line of that song? What reveals God's strength? What reveals God's might? Well, according to the New Testament, God's immeasurable power and his great might are displayed in the work that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now the passage goes on and it says it seated him in the right hand and put all things underneath him. But we're just going to focus on that very first passage. God's power is displayed when he raised Christ from the dead. When he stopped the natural process of decomposition and restored Jesus to a new life, and a new and different life that will never be again touched by death or the grave. Never to die. Now, it's interesting, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you find God at work. You're probably familiar with the story of creation that God said, and it happened, and God's at work. But you get to the end of chapter 1, and it doesn't appear that he's working too terribly hard. He said it, and it happened, and that's a wrap. He didn't break a sweat. I speak anthropomorphically, of course. I don't think God really sweats, but bear with me. But note here, it's not that he worked, but that it was the exertion of his great might. It wasn't that he just had strength, but it was the exertion of his great strength. It should make us just consider the miraculous occasion that happened on Easter morning. God broke a sweat. He, he put his back behind it when he began the new life in Jesus. It's easy to trivialize the Easter acclamation that Christ has risen. Easter bunnies and egg hunts. And I'm a big fan of Easter bunnies and egg hunts. But it's easy to trivialize. It's easy to become too familiar with this Easter acclamation that Christ is risen. But this passage reminds us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the supreme display of Christ's power. Wow. Further, God's power, which has been displayed for us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is already at work, already, presently, at work in everyone who believes. Look at verse 18 with me of this passage. We're going to come back to this, so I'm just going to touch on it very briefly. The author is praying for this church in Ephesus, and by implication for us as well, he's praying that we may know something, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened to a truth. And... In the following verses, you'll note there's three things entire that he's praying for, that we may know the hope that we have, that we may know the riches of our inheritance. Again, all very important, but our subject is the final thing, that we may know the great power. Notice that the apostle, the author, the apostle Paul, is not praying that you can have 
the great power, that you can achieve the great power. He's praying that you, may, you and I may know it. By implication, we already have it. So again, God's mighty power, his great might displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something you already have. It's already at work in you. Now, if you have your Bible open, follow along with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And the passage we've be, that we have been considering, we have looked at God's power at work through Jesus Christ. That Jesus was dead. God raised him back to life. And now in Ephesians chapter 2, the focus of his attention shifts. No longer on God's work in Jesus, but God's work in you and me. I'm going to read just a little bit of the passage uh, because I want you to get the sense of the dramatic change that occurred in everyone who believes in Christ. Just listen. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is a reference to the devil, who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. We were spiritually dead, just as Jesus was spiritually dead. We were, pardon me, Jesus was physically dead, just as he was physically dead. We were spiritually dead. But the passage continues, continues in verse 4 the same. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's because exactly what God did to Jesus. Just as Jesus was physically dead, we were spiritually dead. Just as God made Jesus physically alive, so he made us spiritually alive. God's resurrection power is at work in everyone who calls upon the name of Christ. In the same way we are in danger of trivializing the Easter acclamation that Christ is risen, we are in danger of trivializing what it means to be a Christian. My, fam my favorite author, John Stott, writes, We can speak of becoming a Christian as if it were nothing more than turning over a new leaf and making a few superficial adjustments to an otherwise secular life. But no, becoming and being a Christian, according to the New Testament, is an event so radical that no language can do it justice except death and resurrection. And if you're like me, you need this a reminder. Because frankly, my life doesn't feel this dramatic. My life feels rather mundane. Most of the time, my, my days are spent, at least yesterday was spent, with soccer games and house chores and with Jennifer gone on the uh, women's retreat. All sorts of things that are not part of my normal routine. I often do not feel what I read here, that I once was dead and far from God. But now I and anyone, anyone else who calls upon the name of Christ has been brought near, that a real miniature resurrection miracle is occurring right here inside and unseen by me. And the same power which raised God, which raised Jesus from the dead is already at work. My life simply does not feel that dramatic. I'm reading the book Ready Player One. It's a movie now. I see more nods than my previous reference. I haven't seen the end, made it to the end, so don't tell me how it ends. The plot of this book is a, a run-down, dystopic future in which life is so boring and monotonous and colorless 
that people's only escape is a virtual reality video game. And so video game filled with epic quests and heroic battles and sacrificial rescues. And it's just an escape for everybody. Everyone goes there. And I just think it's interesting how many stories we tell ourselves of a reality that is more exciting than our nine-to-five carpool existence. Whether that be Harry Potter, Potter's magical wizarding world or stepping through the wardrobe into the land of Narnia. And, and maybe the reason that we tell ourselves these stories of an alternative reality unseen by us, the stories of entrance into some larger and more colorful and more dramatic world, is because, in fact, there is a larger, more dramatic, and more colorful world. Here in this passage, we are told of a very real yet unseen reality that we who were spiritually dead, really dead, have been rescued, have been made alive, have been saved. And it's kind of exciting. There is more to your life and more to my life than getting up and going to work and punching the clock and making the donuts and doing the whole thing again and again. Every follower of Christ is a little resurrection miracle. And the same power which God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead is at work. Maybe unbeknownst, but we're told here, is at work in you. I find that very encouraging. So again, the thesis that we've been considering, God's power, which is displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is already at work, now presently available to everybody. God's resurrection power is available to us. Let me go back to verse 18. It's a verse that we have considered already. The author is praying that this church, these Christians, would have the eyes, and for us as well, have the eyes of our heart opened or enlightened, that we may know. And the prayer that we may have our eyes opened and that we may know the power of God suggests to me that for most of us, most of the time, our eyes are not opened, and we do not know. And therefore, the power of God for most of us is an untapped resource. Have you ever heard of the name Thelma Howard? Probably not. Thelma Howard was the secretary for Walt Disney and served Walt Disney for uh, most of his career. And for Christmas bonus every year, Walt Disney gave Thelma Howard a gift of stock. So every Christmas party for several decades, a gift of company stock in Disney. By the time she passed away in 1981, Thelma Howard's estate was north of $10 million. The only problem was that Thelma Howard never knew it. And she probably received those gifts of stock and looked at it as I look at most financial documents. Just a bunch of numbers and green arrows generally mean good and red arrows mean bad, but otherwise just Financially, financial gobbledygook. Parenthetically, if that applies to you, you may want to consider our finance course beginning in education and formation next week. 
While Thelma didn't live in poverty, she certainly did not live as the multimillionaire that she, in fact, was. She probably walked away from those company parties thinking, I wish Mr. Disney would give me something good. She never knew the resource given to her, the resource that was available to her at her fingertips. God's power, that same mighty power which raised Jesus from the dead, is available to you right now. And I know that may sound like a bunch of religious gobbledygook, that it has no correspondence with reality in your experience or little correspondence. Most of us may feel timid and act timid, but many followers of Christ have have exhibited this power. Let me just mention one of many, many examples. It's actually an example that one of you turned me on to. It comes from the book of Acts. And we encounter an interesting story in the life of Peter. Peter, as you may recall, is one of Jesus' closest disciples with a very checkered past. And he became a leader in the early church. In the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, we read that a great outbreak of persecution, quote, beginning in that 12th chapter, uh, he, that he is referring to Herod, that same infamous Herod that oversaw Jesus' death, he, Herod, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, one of the disciples, and arrested Peter, intending to execute Peter after the Passover. Note the timing, Passover. Now Herod was about to bring Peter out the very day of his execution. And on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. Well, I summarize, an angel of the Lord appeared and woke Peter up by striking him on the side, saying, get up, the chains fell off, and out Peter went. Now just a couple of things to note by that very interesting story. The event occurs at Passover. Jesus was executed at Passover one year previously, and the same cast of characters was present then as now, Herod and Peter. Only one year ago, Peter was a very different person. Peter was, at Jesus' execution, timid and shaken, infamously denying that he even knew Jesus to save his own skin. When he was confronted by a little girl... But now, one year later, as he awaits his own execution, he is sleeping, and sleeping as soundly as a babe, so sound that an angel has to smack him on the backside to get him up. Now, how did a man who was cowed before a little girl one year ago sleep as sound as a babe on the night before his execution? What accounts for that change? How did a timid man become brave? Do you think he just learned the power pose? No. Peter experienced what is prayed for here. And the eyes of his heart were opened. And he saw with his eyes what we can see by faith, the power of God displayed in the resurrection of Jesus. And strengthened by the power of God, Peter slept untroubled and unconcerned, sound asleep on the night of his own execution. 
Now, wouldn't you like to sleep like that? Wouldn't you like to go to bed and rest your head on a pillow and, as one saint said, sleep knowing that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well? Well, if you want to sleep like that, then you have to know what Peter knew and pray what is prayed here, that the eyes of your heart would be opened, enlightened, and you would know deeply and apply thoroughly the resurrection power of God which is available to you. During Easter, we encounter two monumental symbols of the Christian faith. The first is the cross, which assures us of forgiveness of all that is past. And the second is the empty tomb, in which we find power for this present moment. So may God open your eyes and open my eyes to know and experience his power.